0: Come on, Lammy, let's go. Come on, don't be, don't be shy, don't be scared. They're fine. They're nice people. I promise. It's okay. Shh, shh. Hi, everyone. This is Lammy. I want you to meet Lammy. I, Lammy's very soft, but he's kind of shy. So. Um, Be nice to him, okay? Maybe say something nice to him after the service. Um, He's a good lamb. I'm just going to set Lammy right here so he can kind of, well, he may not fit there. There we go. Roger, thank you for your words, for being here with us today. Putting the toilet seat down. Roger, you're crazy. I don't know what you. I don't know what you're talking about. No, we are we are honored to have you here. We are grateful for the work you and others are doing in that place, and how God is using you uh, to bring the harvest, at Zuni. So thank you so much. And we're excited um, to get to be a part of that ministry in, in differing ways. Uh, as Skip has led us to, to be a part of that and as we will continue to do that. Well, as Skip mentioned, it is Palm Sunday. The Sunday in which we remember Jesus entering into Jerusalem as He prepared to go to the cross. As Jesus entered into Jerusalem. He was not the only one that was entering into Jerusalem. They were preparing for Passover week. Passover, which began the festival of unleavened bread. A seven-day feast in the Jewish tradition. And even more so than it is now, during the life of Jesus, the Passover, or as the Jews called it, Pesach, was a very significant time for the Jews. It was celebrated on the 15th day of the Jewish month, Nisan. And as I said, it began the Feast of Unleavened Bread lasting for seven days. Of course, Passover was a reminder of God's judgment having passed over the Israelites when they were in Egypt. If you remember when Moses went to Egypt to lead his people out, to lead God's people out of that place... God performed ten plagues to persuade Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And the tenth of those plagues, the last one, was the worst of them all. All of the firstborn males were executed by God's angel of death. But as God had instructed His people, and as He is a very merciful God to His people... For each family who painted the blood of a lamb on the doorframe of their house, God's angel passed over and the family was spared. And so this event and the practice of sacrificing a lamb on that day became a, re- a yearly reminder to the people of God's faithfulness and of his mercy. Not only did the Jews look back in remembrance of the Passover in Egypt and their subsequent exodus from that place, but they looked forward to the coming Messiah who would once again free God's people from the enslavement they were under. Now the Jews assumed that it would be a deliverance from their enslavement to Rome. But God had something much, much greater and more eternal in mind he would send a Messiah who would eternally set his people free from their sin, from death, and from hell. Hallelujah. And, and the Passover was so significant that they started a month before preparing for this holiday. They would plan the meal and make sure they had everything they needed. They would clean their houses. They had to empty their house of all of the leaven. Any leaven in the house had to be put out, had to be done away with. And the people would begin preparing their sacrificial lamb. On the 10th of Nisan, five days before the Passover sacrifice and the Passover meal, the family would... Choose a lamb. Now it was either a family or if they were poor and couldn't afford a lamb per family, sometimes neighbors would gather together. God allowed for that. And they would pick a lamb to represent either the family or the group of neighbors. And they would go out to their flock and they would pick a lamb that was less than one year old. It had to be older than eight days and less than one year old. It had to be a male lamb. It had to be a spotless lamb without blemish. A lamb that they had watched be born. A lamb they had cared for and kept alive. A lamb that they would bring into the home and it would become like a pet. They would care for it. They would love on it. And from the 10th to the 14th, they would inspect the lamb. They would watch it. They would watch it carefully. They would make sure that there is nothing wrong with the lamb, that it was worthy of the Passover sacrifice, or worthy to be so. And you can imagine the family, especially if they had little kids. I know Karis can't stand it when a fly is killed. I can't imagine what would happen when the family pet was put to death. But it was commanded, it was necessary, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. On the afternoon of the 14th of Nisan, this lamb would be sacrificed by the family at the temple. It would be taken to the temple to be sacrificed. And then they would take the remaining parts home and they would have their Passover meal that evening. Now, as each family did this on the 10th of Nisan, as they chose their lamb, the high priest of all Israel was doing the same thing. He would go outside of Jerusalem and he would choose one lamb to be the national sacrifice, the one lamb that would atone for all of Israel. And so on the 10th of Nisan, he would walk out, he would choose this lamb very carefully, and then he would lead this lamb in procession into Jerusalem. And what would happen is all the people who had come for this great holiday, this great celebration, this great remembrance, would line the streets with palm branches singing Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They would sing this this psalm out as the high priest would lead the lamb into the city. Where it would be taken to the temple, tied up, and for four days it would be displayed for all to come and inspect. And then on the 14th, as the other lambs were, this one lamb was taken and it was sacrificed for the whole nation. Jesus, our Messiah. Enter Jerusalem this very same day on the 10th of Nisan on a donkey, which usually a king would ride a donkey. A royal, a royal person would ride a donkey to show their royalty, but also to show that they came in peace. They wouldn't get on their horse because horses were signs of war, war horses. The king would ride a donkey to show that he came in peace. He had no intentions of raising arms. The king of kings rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as a king would, but he came in peace. He came probably not far behind the high priest's procession. The crowds who had just heralded the entrance of the sacrificial lamb now heralded the entrance of the lamb of God. Accordingly, Jesus not only identified Himself as royalty, coming, in peace as He rode on that donkey, but He identified Himself with the Passover sacrifice as He traveled through the crowds into the city, much like the sacrificial lamb had done not long before Him. That day, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, His entry fulfilled prophecy, and it began a countdown to the death of God's Son and the redemption of God's people. And you can just imagine, I mean, every year as the people gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate, to remember this wonderful event where God passed over, where His judgment did not touch His people if the blood of the Lamb was over their door. As all of, Israel, as all of Egypt mourned and wailed because of the great loss, if you go back to Exodus, it tells us that not one household of the Egyptians was unaffected by this tragedy. Every household was affected. So you can imagine as the Egyptians were raking up that morning, the cry that came out of Egypt. And yet the Jews were spared. God's people were spared. And so you can imagine the enthusiasm that filled the air as Passover approached. Alfred Ederschein, the Messianic Jew and biblical scholar, writes of that particular Passover week in his work, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And he writes this, Everyone in Israel was thinking about the feast. For the previous month it had been the subject of discussion in the academies. And for the last two Sabbaths at least, that of discourse in the synagogues. Everyone was going to Jerusalem. Or had those near and dear to them there or at least watch the festive processions to the metropolis of Judaism it was a gathering of universal israel that of the memorial of the night of the birth night of the nation and of its exodus when friends from afar would meet and new friends be made when offerings long due would be brought and purification long needed be obtained and all worship is that grand in that grand and glorious temple With its gorgeous ritual. National and religious feelings were alike stirred in what reached far back to the first and pointed far forward to the final deliverance. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 1, I want to read of what we now refer to as the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. The reason for which we celebrate this Palm Sunday. Matthew chapter 21, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11, and if you'll stand in honor of God's Word, if you are able to do so, would you follow along with me as I read those verses? Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their coats. And he sat on them. On the coats, not on both donkeys. I don't think that's possible. Maybe, maybe Jesus was a large man. I don't know. I don't think so. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You can be seated. So this was the environment in which Jesus entered into Jerusalem during that particular Passover week. Things were already exciting I mean, it was palpable. It was almost electric. People in Jerusalem knew it was a very big week. But they had no idea just how significant that week would be. That particular Passover would change history. Nothing would ever be the same. The destiny of every human being would hang upon what happened that very week. My friends, your destiny hangs upon what happened that particular week just under two millennia ago. What happened and what you do with what happened. What I want to do this morning is I want to look at Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and His subsequent death on the cross. In comparison with the Lamb, the sacrificial Passover Lamb. Because I want us to see today that in the Passover sacrifice, we can absolutely identify Jesus as the Messiah. The first thing we see here is that Jesus came in riding on a donkey. Zechariah nine tells us, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humbled and mounted on a donkey. This was to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah. We also see Psalm 118, O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. That's Psalm 118, 25 and 26. This is exactly what the people cried as Jesus was proceeding into town. And we see the prophecies one by one being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. In Isaiah 53 verses 1 and 9, we read about the suffering servant who would be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And in John 1.29, remember the words of John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We also know, according to Psalm 109, that he would be betrayed. And when we look forward to Matthew chapter 26, we see his betrayer is Judas. Now, think about I'm not. I thought about actually tearing him apart today, but I won't do that. That might be too traumatic. Um, but you think about this lamb. Now, it's a lamb. It's ability to reason and process is very, very limited. In fact, we know that sheep aren't very smart animals, which doesn't help our self-esteem when we see how often Jesus compares us to sheep. But this lamb became a pet. It lived in the home. It had the best. It was given the best. It was feeling pretty good. And then can you imagine the lamb as it's Taken out and taken for a trip. Oh, yeah. You know, if they drove cars, I can imagine the lamb with his head out the window. (laughs) You know. And they get to the temple. And there's the smell of blood. And and something's happening. And And the lamb gets taken to the altar. And there's a big old knife that comes out. And that lamb's world changes. Can you imagine if lambs could feel betrayal, what betrayal it would feel? And we know, according to Scripture, that it was prophesied that he would be betrayed. And sure enough, he was. Psalm 69 tells us that he would be given vinegar to drink. And we read in Matthew 27, 33, and 48 that he is given vinegar, sour wine. In Psalm 22, we read, the psalmist write, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus says those same words while He's on the cross. We are beginning to see this could be the Messiah. But it doesn't stop there. We see in the sacrifice of the Lamb that He is the Messiah. On the day that the lambs were being sacrificed, the sacrificial animal, which was either a lamb or God does give provision to be a baby goat, a kid, that lamb or, if necessary, uh, a baby goat had to be a male, had to be one year old and had to be without blemish. And each family or, as I said, group of families who live close to one another offered a lamb together. The animal was to be slaughtered, sacrificed around three in the afternoon. That's when they traditionally did it. The killing took place in the court of the temple and might be performed by a layman, although the blood had to be caught by a priest and rows of priests. Now, there was three waves because there were so many people, so many families. They did three waves that day. Starting at 3 o'clock, they would do the first wave. And so they had priests lined up. I mean, just a long line of priests. And the families would bring their lambs or their baby goat, and they would each get in front of the slaughterer and then one of the priests with the cup. And the knife would be inserted and the cup would be put under the lamb so that every drop of blood would pour out the bottom of the cup was rounded so that the cup couldn't be sat down. Because if they sat the cup down, it could sit and it could coagulate. And so it was rounded so the blood would continue to to stir up and to stay in liquid form. And as the blood poured out in this first wave, after every lamb was slaughtered, they would begin to pass the cup down. It's this long line and they just began to pass the cup down. And the one on the end would pour the blood on the altar. The lamb was then hung upon special hooks or sticks and skinned unless it was on the eve of the, pas- unless the, eve of the pas- Passover fell on a Sabbath. Then the skin was removed down to the breast only. The abdomen was cut open and the fatty portions intended for the altar were taken out. Placed in a vessel, salted and offered by the priest on the altar while the remaining entrails were taken out and cleansed. Now, with that in mind, with that brief description, and there's so much more. And I would encourage you to go out and, and study this. Because there's so many parallels to what Christ did. All of the Jewish festivals parallel, parallel the life of Christ. But with that brief description in mind, listen to this. Jesus had spoken of His blood in a cup the night before He was crucified. This is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Take drink. In remembrance of me, that cup was passed along a line of men. Then the next day, he was hung on a stick on the eve of a Sabbath. He was whipped, having the flesh of his abdomen pretty much fully removed. And then his side was split open to make sure he was dead. Do you hear the parallels there? Well, let's just run down a list of these these parallels. The first parallel we see is that we know the lamb had to be unblemished. Exodus 12:5 12, 12, says, "Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old; you may take it from the sheep or from the goats." And we know that in Christ no fault was found in him. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers. This is Luke twenty-three, thirteen through 14. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man. Now the KJV says no fault. He was faultless, blameless, without blemish. We know that the Lamb was paraded in a week before the sacrifice. And as we just read here in Matthew 21, so was Jesus on the exact day in the exact same manner. Upon entering the city with the Lamb, the high priest would take the Lamb directly to the temple, as I already mentioned. He would tie it up in public view so that it could be inspected by all the people for the blemish. And they were all responsible for looking we just finished our taxes last night and it doesn't, rem- it doesn't matter what your accountant says or doesn't say or does or doesn't do. If your taxes aren't right, the IRS doesn't go to your accountant. They go to you. Because you must inspect them because they're for you. And so the priest would tie the, the lamb up for all to inspect to make sure there was no blemish In the same way, Jesus sat and taught in the temple courtyard for four days. Where was Jesus the majority of the time after He came in to Jerusalem that week? He was at the temple. God's Word tells us that He was at the temple. For four days, He was inspected and questioned as the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law sought to trip Him up. They sought to catch Him in a lie or to entrap Him. They could not, because he was perfect and without blemish. Matthew 21:12, and Jesus entered the temple. This is right. This is the very next verse of the text we just read. Matthew 21:14, the blind and the lame came to see him in the temple. Matthew 21:23, when he entered the temple, this is the next day. The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? They were testing him. Matthew 22, then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one. For you are not partial to any. And guess where he was? He was in the, say it, temple. That's right. Matthew 22, 23, on that day, some Sadducees who say there is no erection came to Jesus and questioned him once again in the temple. Over and over and over. Matthew 23, then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. He was at the temple. Matthew 24, then Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And we find no fault was found in him. Not only was the lamb inspected, but the lamb was labeled. During the Passover time, a sign hung on each lamb's neck to know who that lamb represented. It bared the name of the owner of the lamb and the sins for who that lamb would atone. Now, if you'll remember, as Jesus was crucified, what did Pilate put over his head on the cross? He put a sign up there. That's right. He, sung, he hung a sign over his head with the name of his father. Now, let me tell you how that is. Studies have shown that... Now, are you familiar with the Tetragrammatron? The Tetragrammatron, I'm sorry, is basically just the four letters that make up the word Yahweh in the Hebrew. The YHWH, if you were to transliterate that into English. That's what the letters are. Four letters, because in the Hebrew language there are no vowels, they just have points that represent the vowels. And they were added later. Studies have shown that there's a good chance that the Tetragrammaton actually appeared over Jesus when he hung on the cross. Not mysteriously or or miraculously. During Bible times, one way that they would convey messages, since paper was very expensive, writing materials were very expensive... Messages, messages were often displayed by using the first letter of each letter, abbreviations. An example in English would be UPS, which stands for United Parcel Service. And so the phrase, Jesus of Nazareth and King of the Jews, which is what they put over His head on that sign, it's a fairly long phrase. You wonder how could they fit all of those words on a little plaque, especially when we know it was written in three languages on a sign above Jesus' head on the cross. But if we further inspect this phrase in the Hebrew, the Hebrew initials for Jesus of Nazareth and King of the Jews are the initials YHWH. It could be why the priests asked Pilate not to put those exact words on the sign. Now, it's also because he didn't say he claims to be the King of Jews, but he is the King of the Jews. But you know... That the Tetragrammaton, the name Yahweh, was sacred, was so sacred that they wouldn't even say it. So to have it displayed above a convicted criminal on a cross would have been terrible in their eyes. Now, that is conjecture. It may not have happened. But there's a chance it could have. Once again, the lamb was offered and in a sense betrayed by loved ones. Jesus was betrayed by his own disciple. We know, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, God commanded the people when they, at the very first Passover, that when they took the lamb to eat it, they didn't break any bones. They were not to break a single one of the lamb's bones. And we know of Jesus that none of his bones were broken, just as prophesied in the Old Testament. We also see that all the blood of the Lamb was drained out. We know that Jesus was bled out on the cross. We know that because when the, when the soldier stuck the spear in His side, it says that blood and water flowed out. Because all of His blood was virtually gone. We know that on the morning of of the sacrifices, the lamb was taken to the temple. The, you know, the 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 nation, the the national sacrifice, the one lamb that represented the whole nation, it was taken to the temple. And at nine o'clock in the morning, it was tied to the altar, the altar upon which which it would die. And then around three in the afternoon is when they would actually kill the lamb. In Mark 15:25, it tells us that at the third hour, Jesus was crucified. That means he was hung on the cross about the third hour. Do you know what time the third hour is? Nine o'clock in the morning. And then Matthew, Mark and Luke, all three tell us that the hour at which he died was about 3 pm, the ninth hour. Isn't that fascinating? just as one lamb picked by the high priest and paraded before the people on the 10th of Nisan, displayed in the temple for testing, attached to the altar at 9 in the morning and crucified at 3 in the afternoon. So our Jesus was chosen as the Lamb of God. He entered Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan He traveled the same path that the Lamb had traveled in the midst of those people, crying out. Psalm 118 laying down their palm branches. He spent the next four days being tested at the temple. He was stripped. His skin was torn from him as he was whipped and beaten. He was attached to the cross at nine in the morning and was dead at three in the afternoon. His abdomen was split open as the soldier pierced it with his spear. His blood was all poured out. And because He poured His blood out for us, our sins are atoned for. One perfect spotless lamb for one sinful human race. There's no question he is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is the once for all sacrificial lamb, spotless, blameless and blameless and his blood does atone for all sin forever and ever and ever, once for all. Once for all time and once for all people for all who would believe. And and in spite of his own heart, Caiaphas the high priest in John chapter 11, in spite of his own sinful intentions, he said the words, it is better for one man to die than for a whole nation to perish. And unbeknownst to him, he was prophesying once again that Jesus was the Lamb of God. One man for all mankind. Now, We can think of Him in that kind of of universal thinking that His blood can atone for all sin for every person who would believe. But I want you to hear this morning, it was one man for you. One blameless, spotless man in place of you. And, And just in case we don't Hear the gravity of what he went through. The betrayal he felt, not just by Judas, but by every single one of our sins. Because it was your sin, it was my sin that put him there. Dr. C. Truman Davis, he has passed away now, but he wrote a commentary on the crucifixion from a doctor's standpoint. And this is what he writes. In the early morning, Jesus, battered and bruised, dehydrated and exhausted from a sleepless night, is taken across Jerusalem to Pontius Pilate. The prisoner is stripped of his clothing and his hands tied to a post above his head. A short whip consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two small balls of lead attached near the ends of each is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs." The condemned man was forced to carry the patibulum, which is the crossbar, probably weighing about 110 pounds. He was forced to carry it from the prison to the place of execution. Without any historical or biblical proof, medieval and Renaissance painters have given us our picture of Christ carrying the entire cross. And most likely that's probably incorrect. Incorrect. I'm going to skip ahead here because he he gives some some information on that. You also see the pictures in paintings of the nails in the hands, the palms. But Roman historical accounts and experimental work have shown that the nails were driven between the small bones of the wrists and not through the palms. Nails driven through the palms will strip away between the fingers when they support the weight of a human being. The mis- misconception may have come out through a misunderstanding of Jesus' words to, to Thomas, observe my hands. Anatomists, both modern and ancient, have always considered the wrists as part of the hand. Uh, uh, to uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's the or small sign stating the victim's crime was usually carried to the front of the procession and later nailed to the cross above the head. So we get the the sign above his head. A small bundle of flexible branches covered with long, long thorns commonly used for firewood are plated into the shape of a crown and this is pressed into his scalp. The heavy patibulum, once again the crossbar of the cross, is tied across his shoulders and the procession headed by a centurion begins its slow journey along the Via Dolorosa. In spite of his efforts to walk erect, the weight of the heavy wooden beam, together with the shock produced by copious blood loss, is too much. He stumbles and falls. The centurion, anxious to get on with the crucifixion, selects a stalwart North African onlooker, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross. The crucifixion begins. The legionnaire drives a heavy, square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. The patibulum is then lifted in place at the top of the stipes, and the the sign reads, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is nailed in place. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins. A deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. The body of Jesus is now in extremis and he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. This realization brings out possibly little more than a tortured whisper. It is finished. His mission of atonement has been completed Finally, he can allow his body to die with one last surge of strength. He once again presses his torn feet against the nail, straightens his legs, takes a deeper breath, and utters his seventh and last cry, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he dies. And he didn't have to do it. He wasn't guilty. He didn't deserve it. He did it for you. He did it all for us. Now, He did it to honor His Father, there's no doubt. But if there was no sin, there was no need for crucifixion. There was no need for a Savior. He did it for us. My friends, as Gentiles, as those who live in A.D. and not B.C. time. We do not look back to a time in Egypt when God passed over our people. We look back to a cross. When the spotless, blameless Lamb of God hung on a cross. And if we would trust Him, if we would come to Him in faith, if we would give our lives to Him... Confess Him as Lord and Savior and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. God's wrath, His judgment, all of His anger against sin will pass over you. And He will welcome you to Himself where you will live in His presence not just now, but throughout eternity. They took their lambs to the temple so that their sins might be atoned for. The blood brought atonement. The blood bought atonement. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Have your sins been covered by the precious blood of the perfect Lamb, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah? Have you been atoned for? Have you come to the cross and been passed over? All of your sins, all of your trespasses, all of your wrongdoings, overlooked, and only mercy, grace, and love poured out on you. That's the invitation. As Greg leads us in this final hymn, and would you stand as he does? that is the invitation to come to such a Messiah to such a Savior who was the Lamb for us what did He deserve? He deserved glory, He deserved splendor He deserved majesty but what did He take on Himself? He took on shame reproach, scorn pain and death he did it for me he did it for you why would you not come to such a savior why would you not receive that gift of mercy why would you not today when the Israelites would go to the temple they would take their lamb they would take it with them and they would leave it now they would take parts of it away to eat that night But their prized possession, the lamb, was no more. It was gone. It's not so for us, my friends. We come without a sacrifice. We come without anything worthy. We come without anything that will make a difference for us eternally. We come with empty arms and open hands. We come only with our shame and our guilt and our regret. And so instead of coming and leaving our sacrifice, yes, we bring our lives, but we've looked in the mirror, we knows what we know what those look like. We come. And he becomes our sacrifice forever and ever and ever, forever worthy, forever effective. And we take him home and he's alive. We will celebrate that next week. And hopefully you celebrate it every day. He is alive. He is a living savior, a living Messiah. And we take him with us and he never leaves us or forsakes us. And instead of us caring for our sacrifice, our sacrifice cares for us. He takes care of us. He takes us into his home and he loves us. And he makes us his choice possession. Do you see? Yes, we looked at all the similarities. But do you see the vast difference between the sacrifice of that Passover, that tradition, and the new and living and eternal sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is infinitely different, infinitely better. And it is for you, for you today and for all eternity. I won't belabor this because the invitation time doesn't stop when the music stops. The invitation is until you stop breathing You don't know when that will be. I don't know when that will be. I pray it's not for a long time. But you know it can happen anytime. So don't wait if you've never responded. Don't think there might be tomorrow because there might not be. Come to the Lamb. Take Him as your own. what it means to be truly loved to be truly cared for and to be truly redeemed Father we thank you that your son was battered and bruised for us that he was scarred on our behalf he was beaten and pierced shamed and humiliated Thank you that you were pleased to crush your own son so that we might live. God, there's nothing we can offer today that is worthy of that love, that is worthy of that gift. But Father, in extreme humility, we lay at your feet and we say, take us, And use us. Though it's not much, it is yours. Because I want to be yours. And Father, if there's anyone in here today who is living as a dead person, who is living without the confidence and assurance of knowing that Jesus is their Savior. Don't let them rest. Don't let them sleep. Don't let them be comfortable until they have made that decision. That week, some 2,000 years ago, changed everything. And our eternities hang in the balance dependent dependent upon what we do with Jesus. And so, Father, in Your grace, in Your mercy, would you draw unto yourself anyone in here today who does not know you yet so that they will know you and we know that knowing you is eternal life. Thank you, Father. We give you this day. We give you these lives. In Jesus' name, amen.